following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Uh, looking this morning in Matthew chapter 10, well actually the end of chapter 9, and uh, into chapter 10, uh, talking about the mission of God. So let's uh, begin by reading together. Uh, from Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35 through chapter 10, verse 15. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Um, Just to kind of review a little bit about the, uh, the book of um, uh, Matthew and what we've seen so far. Uh, uh, we've been mostly watching and focusing on uh, Jesus and his own personal ministry. Uh, and Jesus has been carrying out this mission, as it summarizes in verse 35, going around the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, and healing every disease. Uh, And we've seen that broken down as we've seen examples of Jesus teaching and then examples of Jesus' ministry as he heals and casts out demons. Um, But in chapter 10, there's a a distinct break, a change in the action. Uh, And as Jesus has been uh, ministering, he's also been calling disciples to himself who would be true followers of Jesus. Uh, But we see here in chapter 10 that uh, the the, the bigger goal or vision for followers. What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? Is it just to observe Jesus' ministry? Is it just to be a spectator? Or is there something more that Jesus has in mind for his disciples? And it's relevant not only for, for this story, but for all of us who would be Jesus' disciples. What is the end goal or the final goal of being a follower of Christ? Well, we see here clearly that the goal, the ultimate goal of being a follower of Christ is not simply to be close to Jesus, although that's part of it, or to be a spectator and watch as Jesus unfolds his power, which is part of it. But the real final goal is that uh, we would join Jesus as co-laborers in carrying out the mission of God. Uh, So Jesus' heart from the beginning was not that he would do this all by himself, but he wanted to raise up followers who would join him in carrying out God's mission of saving and bringing salvation and the kingdom to the world. Uh, so chapter 10 is what's uh, called by commentators the second teaching discourse. Uh, it's the second large section of teaching material that uh, Jesus gives in the book of Matthew. And his focus is on disciples who are being sent out 
as laborers in the in the kingdom for the kingdom. Um, now we have to give a little bit of a disclaimer, in that the uh, the instructions here are are very specific to a very specific group of people during a very specific time. Uh, we see that Jesus calls to himself the twelve, and he names them for the first time in, in Matthew as the apostles. Uh, they're a very unique group of people. And while we all are disciples, we are not all apostles. And we certainly are not, uh, any of us, the original group of apostles who are witnesses to Jesus' life and ministry. So, um, so, so some of what's described here is, is very unique or specific to, um, uh, to this group of people in, the, in this specific context. Uh, it's also true that what's going on here is happening is ministry before the cross, right? So that um, it changes after the cross. And so the, the, the ministry and the mission of God after Jesus died and rose again, as we see in the book of Acts, is, is much different. Um, but nonetheless, Matthew includes this material here because the principle, principles here uh, are relevant for us as disciples and followers. Uh, it's important for us to know that coming to Jesus, coming to salvation in him, it's not just getting on a train where we follow Jesus around and we get to be spectators for our whole life. Uh, the purpose is greater than that. Jesus calls us to a, a path of discipleship that ends with service and ministry. Uh, whether that's done full-time vocationally or if it's done as a layperson, um, God's call on our life is that we would be involved in kingdom work, that we would be involved and in participants in the mission of God. And so we see here some uh, principles that help us understand our place. And uh, we see two things. First, the, the heart of the mission, the, the heart behind ministry. And then we see some practical instructions about how we're to go about it. So let's uh, look at these two things. First, the heart of the mission. Uh, what, is, what is Jesus' heart? And what is to be our heart as we join God in his mission to bring salvation to the world? Um, Jesus spells it out pretty clearly in uh, verse 35. He went through the 35 and 36. He went through the villages, teaching in all their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And as he did this, we've seen that these massive crowds are starting to follow Jesus. Uh, probably thousands of people had become aware of who he was, and every day they were showing up uh, in, in huge, uh, huge crowds of people. And as Jesus looks out at the crowds, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Um, Jesus sees these crowds and he sees them as people who are uh, in great need. Uh, but before we talk about their need and his compassion, let's, let's look a little bit at, at, at the nature of Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry was, was in, in a twofold a, a, approach. Uh, oftentimes described as ministry in word and ministry in deed, right? He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and he's healing every sickness and disease. Proclaiming the good news, teaching and healing the sickness. Uh, the word, ministry of the word is the word is the ministry of proclaiming and teaching God's word. It is speaking to people's spiritual need, the truth that they need to know God and come to a place of salvation. But Jesus also, uh, simultaneously and, and perhaps with the same amount of effort, uh, Jesus is ministering in deed, uh, meaning he's healing. He's doing something about their physical needs as he sees the, the crippled and the blind and the lame and even the hungry. Jesus meets those needs. Um, and and, and that's, that's his approach to ministry. So he's doing ministry in, in word and deed, but he's doing it with this heart of compassion, this, this, uh, this love for the people that he sees. And as he wanders around in their midst and he sees them, he sees two great needs. One, that they are harassed and helpless. Right? There are people who are being oppressed, who are being picked on, who are struggling, who are wandering. And the reason for that, the second thing he talks about, is that they are like sheep without a shepherd. And this is actually... a. Uh, um, a veiled insult of the religious leaders, the, the, the Jewish leaders of that day. They were not shepherding the people into a place of truth and of knowledge of God. And so they were helpless. They were scattered. They were oppressed. 
And that's the result of poor leadership. Had the, the people, the, the leaders of Israel in that day been shepherding the people well, they would have uh, been uh, knowing God's help. They would have known God's care and protection for them. Uh, but the shepherds were too uh, concerned about their own affairs and, uh, they, and their own power, and they were not shepherding well the people. So they were without leadership, and they were uh, hurting lost people. And his heart went out to them. Uh, uh, the, the word compassion there could literally be translated that his heart went out to them. It's the idea of a deep concern and affection for their current struggle. So when Jesus saw the people and he saw their spiritual needs as well as their physical needs, it moved him to action. And that's how Jesus' compassion always is. Jesus' compassion is never just pity that doesn't do something about it. When Jesus feels compassion for someone, he always does something to help them. And we've seen that over and over again. Uh, he turns his compassion into acts of love that help those who are in need. Um, and we see a third thing that, that comes out of this, out of Jesus' heart for these people, is he calls uh, his disciples, and this is not the twelve, but all his disciples, all those who happen to call themselves followers at this point. And he says to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest, to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his field. So Jesus' compassion moves him to, to, to serve, to love, to help people, to proclaim the kingdom. But it also moves him to uh, bring others along in the journey. And the first step of, of inviting others to join in the mission of God is to challenge his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth more workers. Uh, they too were to have compassion for uh, these lost people. And the first thing that they were to do with this compassion is they saw the needs of all the crowds around and their spiritual lostness as well as their physical needs is they were to be moved to pray earnestly to God to send forth more workers. And this is a revolutionary statement because Jesus doesn't say here, uh, pray that I would have super, supernatural power, because he already had that, <laughs> to... Um, to, to be Superman, to fly to every city and, and get all the work done that I have to get done. Right? That's not what Jesus says. Uh, Jesus is clear that he's not going to accomplish this work all by himself. Right? He says, you need to pray for, uh, the, for more laborers. And right now, how many laborers were there in, 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 in God's harvest field? Well, there was just Jesus. Right? There was only one. So uh, more would be like two or twelve or ten, whatever. Um, but, but that's, that's the heart. He says, he says, pray earnestly. Be diligent in praying um, that God would send workers to these lost sheep of Israel. Uh, what kind of heart do we have for God's mission? Like when we think about these three things that Jesus was engaged in and how his heart of compassion motivated him, uh, what is our heart for God's mission? Uh, do we have a love for people that first off moves us to pray for the lost. Like when we when we are here in Thailand, where uh, the overwhelming majority of the people here do not know Christ, right? Uh, do we get irritated with them? Do they frustrate us? Do we not like them because they're not Christians and and they're sinful people who do sinful things? Or do we like Jesus see them as lost sheep who are without leaders to lead them into the truth of who God is? Um, I think that, that, that maybe we don't really pray for lost people very much. We don't really pray earnestly for God to send more workers. Maybe because we don't really love people like Jesus did. Uh, I think the beginning of any great movement of prayer for the lost is to gain uh, God's compassion for lost people. So that's a, an important place for us to start is to love people and to use that love to motivate us to pray for God to send workers, send witnesses, send those who will bring the good news. Uh, but secondly, it doesn't stop there. Uh, we too are called to carry out God's mission by loving people with action, by carrying out God's mission in word and deed. And we'll see that in a minute, that Jesus, uh, when he calls his followers, his twelve, he commissions them to do the same thing. In verse 7 he says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. 
Right? So they were to be doing ministry of the word. They were to be proclaiming that Jesus had come as the Messiah. And he was bringing with him salvation that made it possible for them to enter God's kingdom. But then he says also, along with that, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Uh, so they too were to have the same uh, ministry of meeting real physical needs among the crowd, among, among those who were in need. Uh, they were to also be speaking into the spiritual needs of their lives and doing something about the spiritual needs as they encountered them. And we'll talk a little bit later about like, what does that mean for us. But, but, but we should be thinking about how do we do ministry in word and deed, right? Love should motivate us to care for people's spiritual needs as well as their physical needs. Um, I wonder, and, and I see, and, and you know, there's a lot of debate and strategies on what you do and how you do it, and I don't want to get into the middle of all of that, but uh, something that I have observed is that some people uh, are so focused on the deed side, right? They're so focused on rescuing people who are being trafficked or helping orphans or caring for uh, the poor. And, and uh, they have a great heart for that. And they want to show, they, they claim they want to show God's love by helping those in needs, by meeting real physical needs. Um, but, but they'll say things like, but we don't want to insult them by sharing with them the gospel, like, that's not our purpose. Uh, we're just here to help with the physical need, and we'll leave that up to somebody else. But I wonder, do we really love people if we're only meeting their physical needs, but we make no effort to, to meet their spiritual needs? Do we really love them, right? Likewise, I know people who are all about preaching the Word. Uh, they're, they're all about teaching the Bible. They're all about making disciples, right? Um, but... Uh, they seem oblivious to the real needs of the people that they're preaching to. Uh, they don't seem to care that the people they're preaching to are poor or starving to death or struggling with real-life needs. So, so we have to ask the same question. Do we really love people if we only preach to them but make no effort to care for their daily struggles and needs and meet them and come alongside them? Uh, I think loving people means doing both. Right? We meet their spiritual needs. We, we speak into their spiritual need, and we do what we can to help meet their physical needs. And Jesus clearly did both. Uh, he did both, and he instructs his followers to do both. Right? He says, proclaim the message and heal the sick. Um, what, what does that look like? Well, for us, it may not mean uh, raising the dead. That would be cool, and, um, you know... Uh, uh, I'll, I'll leave that to the leading of the God in your life if you want to pray for dead people. Um, it, it would certainly be a witness to the power of God, and that's a good thing. But I'm not so sure that God always empowers us as he did the apostles. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but I, I do think that we can meet real needs in people's lives. And so right now we're, we're doing this food drive, and we've been able to help uh, hundreds of families actually. Um, but we're doing it not just to, to meet a physical need, but we're doing it to build relationships and open doors to share the gospel. Right, so we do these things together. Another program that we've had going for a, a number of years is Education Matters, where we help families uh, keep their kids in school and we help provide for educational expenses. And along with that, we assign to each student a mentor who uh, goes and visits the family and checks up on the kids regularly and through that, they build a relationship and they take the opportunity to share Christ, right? We want to help your kid get through school, but we also want to help you come to know a God who loves you. And oftentimes families will ask, why do you help us? Well, let us tell you why we help you. We help you because God sent us to show his love and to show his compassion. And he does that by meeting needs, but he also did that through Jesus who loves you and who gave his life for you. This last March, a whole family was baptized who uh, came to Christ through the Education Matters because we helped them meet that physical need. So doing ministry in word and deed. Uh, move from a heart of compassion. Right? So, so that's what Jesus did, and that's really the heart we're to have as we, as we do ministry. It's not just about methods, but it's about the compassion and love we have for people that drives our methods and that moves us to really engage with people and love them 
with the, the truth of God's salvation as well as coming alongside in their daily struggles. But then Jesus turns and he gives uh, uh, some very practical instructions about the mission. Uh, and uh, In verse uh, ten, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, he says, And he called to him his twelve disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And then he names the twelve. Uh, what's interesting here is that these, this group of twelve was a, an already identified group, right? Now, other gospel writers explain how Jesus specifically, specifically called these twelve, and we don't get that in Matthew, but we see that they're already an existing group. They are the twelve, right? Jesus called his twelve disciples, and here he names them apostles. An apostle uh, can have several meanings. It, it, its most simple meaning, it's a sent one, it's a missionary, and Jesus, in this context, is sending them out as missionaries. But it also came to be the, the role of really the founding uh, cornerstones of the church, or the, uh, Jesus as the cornerstone. They were the foundation blocks of the church. And they are 12 people who were witnesses to all of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And they are bestowed with a special kind of authority, uh, not only in what they could do to heal and cast out demons and raise the dead, but also as they bore witness to the truth. Uh, but what's significant here is not uh, so much who they are, and, and Matthew doesn't make a real big deal of that. Uh, what's significant is that Jesus here makes it clear that the goal of being a, a follower, a disciple, was to be sent on mission. And these were the first 12 that had uh, gone through the apprentice program to the point where they were ready to, to be sent. Uh, we know in Luke, later, Jesus sends out 72. And of course, uh, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls on the church, God commissions the whole church to be going on mission, to be witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? Uh, so, so the principle here is universal, even though we may not all do it like the apostles did. Uh, the goal for us being followers of Christ is that we learn from Jesus, we spend time with Jesus, we watch and see how he works, not just to be spectators, not just to say, go Jesus, you go out there and you, you save the world, right? Uh, Jesus does not need cheerleaders, and that's not our role as disciples. Rather, he wants co-laborers who join with him in his mission. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. Um, it's a little scary. If you've ever taught somebody to drive, you kind of know how this works, right? First, you drive and they watch you. And then you slowly give them the wheel and they, they, they drive and you sit next to them with your hand on the brake, right? ready to pull it at any time. Right? And I've done this many times, right? And uh, when they're about to run into something, you pull the brake, right? But then slowly, as they get more competent, you give them more and more freedom. And uh, you're letting them take control and letting them do it. And finally, there comes that day when, when you stand in the driveway and wave as they drive off on their own, right? And that's really what Jesus is doing here. It's a little scary. The, the eternal future of the universe is at stake here. And he waves. He says, you guys go do this, right? I've trained you. Now let's see you go attack those demons and, and bring my kingdom, proclaim the gospel. Um. And it's an amazing thing that, that Jesus calls us into partnership with him in accomplishing God's mission. The greatest mission of the world, of the universe and of history. And God invites us to join with him and have a part of bringing salvation to the world. What a privilege and what an honor. And, and, and Jesus says to them, you do exactly what I did. As I read in verse 7, you go and proclaim that message of the kingdom that it's near and you go and meet needs. You heal the sick and you raise the dead. And you cleanse those who have leprosy and you drive out demons. Uh, and, he, and they do this by Jesus bestowing on them his authority. And it's important to note that as we join Jesus in mission, we join and we go out uh, with authority that comes from him as his representative. right? As those who are uh, going in the name of Jesus, representing who he is. And we'll see how that is significant in a minute when we get towards the end. Um, so so let, me ask, let me go back to this question. Does Jesus give us authority to heal? 
Um, I think he, he does sometimes to some people. But what we see is that, as I said, the, the apostles hold a unique role in all of history. Right? So these 12 men were uniquely gifted and, and given a unique authority that I don't believe is true of all believers. Uh, but we do see in the rest of the New Testament that the, 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 after Pentecost, God poured out the Holy Spirit on every believer. And it didn't matter how mature, how immature, how long you'd been a Christian, how old you were. It didn't matter if you'd gone to Bible college or not. Right? Every believer is empowered and gifted by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit bestows spiritual gifts, uh, abilities to do supernatural work in God's name. Some were given the gift of healing. And, uh, and we see in the New Testament, uh, Peter and Paul and others uh, continuing on uh, this ministry of healing. But some people were given other gifts like mercy and helping and serving and giving. And what's significant is that all the gifts are focused on not me, but on how I can serve and help others. Right? So uh, we, we don't need to be able to heal the sick or raise the dead to, do, uh, to help people. Right? There are many other significant ways that we can help. And it's clear in the New Testament that everybody doesn't have the same gift. Right? God has given a diversity of gifts among the body. And so we all have different ways that we can serve and bless both the body, but also uh, minister to lost people. Um, but the point here is that we are, whether we heal or whether we just serve, we do it in the name of Jesus. And we come as Christ to people. Um, we are his agents and representatives. Uh, and for, as we will see, for people to receive us is to receive Jesus himself because we go in his name and by his power. So this first, this first principle is we, uh, we are not just followers, we are co-laborers, laborers with Jesus. Second thing, uh, we see that we go wherever God sends. Uh, Jesus gives some very specific instructions to the apostles uh, and it's, it's for them and for their context. This is not for all of us. He says uh, to the twelve do, do not go among the Gentiles, or don't go in the way of the Gentiles, or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Um, now we know as the gospel unfolds and as scripture unfolds, that this vision expands. But in Jesus' time before the cross, he was focused on Jews, on Jewish people, and not just Jewish people anywhere, but specifically Jewish people in Galilee. Like So he, he doesn't say even go to Jerusalem. He says, you stick close to home, right here in Galilee. Don't go through Samaria. Don't go to the, the way of the Gentiles. And that pretty much cut off uh, all of southern Israel, Jerusalem and Judea. It confined them geographically to the region of Galilee. And there were some two to 250 villages around Galilee, mostly uh, predominantly Jewish. And, and, and Jesus says, I want you to focus on these. Um, and they had a fairly short-term itinerant ministry. Right, so they all had homes locally, but they went out on these short-term, maybe, we don't know, maybe a week-long, two-week-long, maybe a month-long trips, where they were visiting villages, and they were preaching and healing, uh, proclaiming the kingdom to the Jews in that region. Uh, so uh, this is not a, this is not a un universal plan for all missionaries, right? God doesn't say to all of us, you all go to Galilee, right? And, uh, and so some of the things that he talks about here about not wearing... Uh, two tunics and you know carrying a staff are very specific to the context of uh, the apostles in Jesus' day. Um, but the principle that we can take out of this is this: that God is the Lord of the harvest, and He is in charge of its workers. Right. So in this case, uh, and at this time, God was focusing the message and the ministry on Galilee and among the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, after Jesus rose again, uh, God's focus was more global. In fact, he said, I want you to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But we see with people like Paul, that that doesn't mean Paul went everywhere. Uh, Paul went a lot of places. And Paul was a very um, uh, active evangelist, right? But even Paul encountered places where God closed doors. And God says, no, not those people. No, not that place. And God opened other doors. And he had an angelic vision where, where they 
where he was led to a specific people in a specific place. Uh, all that to say, it's important for us to not just think we get to make up our mind about who God's going to save, right? That because we have a burden for a certain people group or a certain person, that we've decided, well, God's going to save that person, so I'm going to go to that person and God's going to work. It doesn't work that way. God is the Lord of the harvest, and we need to be uh, seeking his leading as he sends us, whether it's across the street or around the world, that it's God who sends and God who leads us where he is working. Uh, And it's amazing how God will open up doors in our life as we follow him. Third thing we see is the principle of giving and living. Um, This is a little bit of a complicated passage because it has a lot to do with their immediate context. But again, there's some cool principles we can gain. Um, In the verse 80 says, Freely you have received. That is, freely you've received the message of salvation. Freely you've received God's truth and God's word. Freely you have received the kingdom. And as, as followers, you have entered into a relationship with Jesus. All is a free gift of grace. He says, therefore, freely give. Freely give. But then he goes on, he says, don't get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or an extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. And there's two kind of opposing principles going on here. And uh, there are principles that would seem to clash or kind of run into each other. And, and the two problem, the, the problem or the two opposing things are this. First, uh, we want to make sure that the gospel is a free gift, right? He's clear here that the, the, the gospel and ministry should never be a way of uh, creating a small business, right? I don't know if you've ever seen, but on the stock market, there's no such thing as Jesus, you know, where I could buy like stocks in like gospel.com, Right? It doesn't work that way. It's not, it's, not, it's not about making money. We're not here to get rich off Jesus. right? And, and that, that is actually unthinkable. But the opposing thing is we also need to live. right? We all know that as missionaries and ministers, uh, we can sure give it all away, but we also have to eat. right? So how do you keep those two things in balance? That the gospel is a free gift, but at the same time, uh, we need to survive. And Jesus even says, the worker is worthy of his meal, of his wages, of his keep. Uh, Well, uh, let's put those two things in balance. First of all, the gospel is a free gift. And we should make sure that we never connect our uh, proclamation of the message or even helping and meeting people's needs with any kind of expectation of, of gain or getting something back. Uh, unfortunately, in Asia, uh, in Thailand, as well as other places, uh, this has become so much of a problem that they actually have a name for it. Does anybody know what the name is? Rice Christians, right? Rice Christians. It means, it means if you come join our church, if you get saved, if you join us, we'll give you rice. We'll help you, right? We'll help you out. But if you don't, we're not going to help you, Right? That is not doing ministry in word and deed. Okay, that's bribing people, uh, and that's, not, that's never to be how the gospel works. Now, I, think, I, don't, I don't know that missionaries ever intended it that way. I don't think missionaries went out and tried to bribe people intentionally to come into their churches. But because they weren't careful about how they proclaimed and how they held people freely, uh, people misunderstood. And they thought that somehow they had to buy or they had to pay for this help or this gift or the message of salvation. So we have to be very careful that when we help people, it's free, right? That we, help, we, we give food away and there's never an expectation that, like, you've got to come to my church or you have to join our group or you have to join my Bible study, right? We help people because we love people and we want to, we want to help them. We want to show God's love regardless of what they do in response to our message. And likewise, we preach um, as a free gift. We proclaim Jesus freely. And we have no expectations of what we will do if they don't receive us, right? It's a free gift. Uh, But at the same time, we do have to live, right? We do need to, to, especially if we're in some kind of vocational ministry or not, like Paul 
Paul chose to be uh, a tent maker, right? He worked and he did ministry. He supported himself. And Jesus uh, gives some very unique instructions to these disciples that are not to be applied exactly to us, right? He tells them, uh, don't take along a purse, basically. Don't, don't take along your wallet. Leave your wallet, your credit cards, and all your cash at home. And you just go uh, trusting me to, to provide for you. Uh, don't take a, a, an extra coat or shirt. right? Don't take an extra pair of shoes. And the idea is that they were to travel light. right? They were to be uh, light and quick. They weren't to be burdened down with lots of gear. Right? So I think out of this we, could, we can glean three principles. First principle, uh, and, and again, we, we don't, we don't want to... These are not laws, right? They're really attitudes. They're really attitudes about how we think about ministry and our role as missionaries, as those on mission with God. So first attitude is we should have an attitude of living simply and in a way that is streamlined, Right? Uh, they were not to be burdened down by lots of stuff. Right? They didn't bring uh, you know, camels and donkeys carrying lots of luggage and baggage. Right? Um, how are we at traveling light? Like if you're going on a one-week trip, how many suitcases do you need? Right? Um, some of us need a lot. Some of us need a little. Right? Um, Jesus says to them, travel light. Right? And really the the attitude underneath this is is more than just how many suitcases we need. The the real question is this. What is the bare minimum you require to be happy? What is the bare minimum you require to to have enough? And Jesus was saying to his disciples, the mission comes first. And, And you need to go out there and not worry about all the stuff you need to make you happy. You need to focus on the mission, on bringing the gospel and the message to the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, Now, we live in a day where God may bless us with great abundance. And I don't think this passage means that we need to sell all of our stuff or that every time we travel, we should only have like our toothbrush, right? Um, I don't know that he's saying that. But but the question is, uh, at what point does all of our stuff become a burden to us? Like, like, at what point does having this and having that and having a certain lifestyle become a cumbrance that weighs us down and keeps us from effectively being out there sharing uh, Christ? When, when does our stuff start distracting us from the mission? Right? Uh, we are called to a, a, a lifestyle that is simple and streamlined. Right? Where, where we can move easily and quickly because we're not encumbered by tons of stuff. Second principle, or attitude, uh, we should embrace sacrifice over comfort. Right? Uh, they, 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 they were not to take with them um, a lot of things that would ensure comfort for them. Uh, they were putting themselves out there really at the mercy and hospitality of others. Uh, but they went willingly. Right? They were willing to give up even an extra coat uh, and trust God. Uh, are we willing to embrace sacrifice over comfort? Or, um, or do we say this, God, I will serve you, and I want to serve you, but I just want to make sure I don't have to give up too much of my comfortable lifestyle to do it. Right? Um, I would go to that country, but it would be too hard in that country, so I want to go to this country instead. Right? Like Chiang Mai is easy, I'll go there, but I don't want to go to Calcutta or some other uh, difficult place, right? Um, right? Do, we, do, we, do we embrace sacrifice over comfort? Uh, do we tell God, look, I'll go as long as it doesn't cost me too much, as long as I can maintain my current lifestyle? Uh, well, clearly that's not the attitude or spirit that, that, um, that God has here. Thirdly, uh, we are to live with deep dependence upon God provide all that we need. Our attitude should be one of deep dependence on God to provide and care for us. Um, uh, They were were not to um, take along uh, backup. 
right? They were not to be uh, worrying about making sure they had everything that they need. They were to trust that God would meet their needs as they went. Uh, Jesus already told them in Matthew 6, uh, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Uh, They were to go with dependence that God would take care of them. If God calls us on mission, he surely will provide for us and meet every need. Uh, And and again, these are not laws. They are attitudes. Uh, It's not that we have to sell all of our stuff or that we can only live by a certain kind of lifestyle. But, but the point here is, what is our attitude about these things? Um, lastly, uh, Jesus says to them, whatever village or town you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Now, this just may sound really super weird. Like... Uh, Greeting a house. Hey, house, how are you? Uh, If the house is worthy, let me bless you. If it turns out to not be worthy, it comes back. Uh, It seems a little weird, and it's uh, certainly Jewish custom. Uh, What he's speaking about here is not the house itself, but the people who live there, right? He says, look for worthy people. Search out worthy people, a worthy household. Worthy people who will receive you. And it's important to note here that worthiness here does not mean find people who deserve salvation. Like sometimes we think that, right? We think, well, I know this person. They're just a good person. And I think they deserve salvation. They must be a worthy person. But the gospel is super clear that none of us are worthy of salvation. There is no worthy person who's good enough, who's got their life together, or who's smart enough, or who's making a good contribution to society. And that's the kind of person... Surely God would save. No, God saves sinners, right? And sometimes God loves to save the worst of sinners. Not the good, but the sick. Not the healthy, but those who need a doctor. Um, So what is it that makes a house worthy if it's not that they deserve it? Well, uh, for Jesus, worthiness simply means they welcome you and receive your message. That's what makes it worthy. A worthy house are people who welcome in Strangers who come bearing the message of truth. And when they hear the message, they receive and welcome the message. So he says, when you greet the house and you bless it, if it proves to be worthy, the blessing will stay. If it's not worthy, uh, it will come back to you. Um, What that means simply is that if they do not receive your message it turns into a curse and they fall under judgment. And that's because we go representing Jesus himself, right? We go as his ambassadors. And the point here he, he makes is that how people receive you is how they receive me. Um, how they respond to, to us is the evidence of their welcomeness to Jesus. And how they receive our message uh, is life and death. Right? If they reject our message, they reject Jesus. Uh, we are witnesses to the truth. And what that means is here is that we are, we are witnesses to the truth, not salesmen selling a product. Right? We are not here uh, trying to convince people why Jesus is a good buy. I remember many, many years ago when I lived in the United States, I had uh, an encounter with a Kirby vacuum salesman. And back in the day, these guys would travel around and they would knock on people's doors with their uh, Kirby vacuum cleaner. And they would say, would you like to see how amazing my vacuum cleaner is? And I don't know why, but I let this guy come into my house and and he spent the next two hours trying to convince me why uh, a Kirby vacuum cleaner was the best thing that I would ever buy in my life. Um, And actually, I was very attracted to his vacuum cleaner. Uh, He got my vacuum cleaner out and he got the Kirby vacuum cleaner out and he spent all this time showing how really junky and worthless my vacuum cleaner was and how spectacular the Kirby vacuum cleaner was. And then I said, well, I'm really interested. I I find your your, your vacuum cleaner way better than my vacuum cleaner. How much does it cost? Well, it turns out I could buy a car for what it would cost to buy this vacuum cleaner. 
I said, well, yeah, I like your vacuum cleaner, but I, you know, I'm not convinced it's worth the price of a car, right? I'd rather buy a car and have my cheap, my cheap vacuum cleaner. Uh, now, at another time, I, I, I did uh, encountered another salesman who was trying to sell me a car, and, and he convinced me, right? That one I bought. Um, and and, and, the, and the, the difference is one convinced me, made it look much more attractive and something I needed, and the other one did not, right? And, and unfortunately, too many people think our job as an evangelist is to make Jesus attractive and make it something that we convince people they can't live without. But what Jesus describes here is not that. He says, you go and you proclaim the message of the kingdom. And it's up to people if they receive it and welcome it, welcome it or they reject it. Um, our job is to make it clear, not to make it attractive. And, and Paul confesses that there's many things about the cross that are not attractive to the world. Um, calling people to discipleship and to make Jesus Lord of their life is oftentimes not popular. People want God's help. They don't want him to take charge of their life. Right? But that's the message we proclaim. Uh, and we should make it clear. We should make it clear uh, the consequences of not receiving Jesus, that the consequence is judgment, that the con- consequence is the, is the fall under God's wrath. And that Jesus offers freely the gift of salvation by his grace to take away God's wrath and judgment to forgive us of sins. But that he calls us to a commitment to him, to follow him, to make him Lord and Master, to be true followers. Right? Um, and he says, he says here, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that person or for that town. You see, we're not selling Jesus. We are proclaiming him. And people will either receive him or reject him. And if, they're re- if, the, if they reject him, we have not failed. Uh, shaking the dust off your feet and off your clothes is a way of, of acknowledging, uh, I'm done with you, Right? Uh, I, I have given you the truth. Now you are responsible for the decisions you will make with what you've heard. Right? Um, that you know, in Thailand and in a place where people have lived under the, the darkness of, of false religions for so long, uh, I think in fairness we don't just give the message once. Right? We, we may give it repeatedly, and many times we may be rejected. Right? But there comes a point when when we've made the message clear when they've clearly understood the, the basics of the gospel. Uh, from that point, it's, it's their decision right, to accept Jesus or not. And, and their rejection of us becomes a rejection of Christ. Their welcoming of us is a welcoming of Jesus. So as long as they're welcoming, as long as they're open to hear the message, we may repeat the message over and over again. But if they come to a point where they shut us out and they reject our message, right, we move on. We move on to the next village, the next town. Um, right? uh, so, so we're in one of three places. Either we're a person who has not yet come to Christ. Right? We're not yet a follower. And maybe we're hearing the gospel message. Maybe we're learning about who Jesus is, but we have not made a decision to follow him. Right, so for us, what stands before us is to, to receive the word, to receive the message, to welcome it, to welcome its messengers, and to keep listening. But there comes a point where we make a point of decision, where we choose to uh, welcome that message, and we want to become a follower. Right, then we become a disciple, we become a follower, an apprentice. Um, when we do that, there, there's a training period. Right? We don't instantly go from disciple to missionary. <laughs> Thankfully, right? there is a time where we are apprenticing, where we're learning, where we're watching what Jesus did. We're learning how to proclaim the message and how to show God's love and kindness. But that's not to be a forever condition either. Right? We're not to be a follower forever who just watches from the sidelines. There comes a point where God calls us, where we have been trained enough, where we are equipped enough, 
where Jesus says, okay, I now send you to be my witnesses in the world. And when we do, we go out with a clear heart for what God has called, that we love people, we pray for them, we pray for for the lost souls around us, and we pray for God to send workers. And when God says, you're that worker, right, we go willingly. We go uh, out of love and we go with a vision to preach the word and to help people. And to help people and to preach the word. Right? And as we, as we do that and engage in that work, we will find some are receptive and some are not. And we don't base our success on how receptive people are. We base our success on how well we've done proclaiming the message and showing God's love. And God will bring the harvest in time. Right? And we get to join in Jesus' mission, partners with him in bringing salvation to the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that Jesus came uh, to save us. And there's parts of his mission that only Jesus could do. Only Jesus can forgive sin. Only Jesus could lay down his life as a sacrifice for our sin. Uh, Only Jesus could be the king and ruler of his kingdom. But uh, there's many things that you invite us to join with you in bringing the kingdom to lost people around us. And Lord, we ask and pray that you will help us be uh, diligent and obedient uh, in becoming true disciples, first of all. And then as we become true followers and as we are raised up in Christ, that we would also uh, join willingly as you send us to bring the good news uh, to lost people. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you, we do pray, Lord, that you would send laborers into the harvest. And, Lord, our heart goes out to lost people all over Asia, many, uh, countless millions who need Jesus. Lord, may you send laborers to these lost people. May you raise up more and more workers who are equipped and able to proclaim the message and who have power to love people and meet real needs and show your grace. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.